If you're tired of these promos, supporters get the podcast early and ad-free. Just go to donate.bogosity.tv for the links to sign up. Welcome to the Bogosity Podcast for the week of August 22, 2021. The podcast that invented the wingless chicken. This is your host, Shane Killian. Let's sanctify the news of the bogus. We'll start off with a couple of updates in the Kyle Rittenhouse case. If you want to get caught up, check the archives because we've covered it in pretty good detail, more than almost any other source I know of. One thing you might remember is how insane the prosecution is being. This is a political prosecution, after all. After doing things like demanding that Kyle's current location which is being kept secret because he's received death threats, be made public and trying to get his $2 million bail revoked because there's a picture of him making the OK sign, Assistant DA Thomas Binger is now trying to poison the well and the jury in a different way. He made an other acts motion seeking to introduce what he claims is video of Kyle two weeks before the shooting, watching people leave a CVS and saying, quote, Bro, I wish I had my expletive AR. I'd start shooting rounds at them. The thing is, there's no indication that that even is Kyle in the video. His face is invisible, and the only identification the prosecution offered is that his voice sounds like Kyle's. The prosecution failed to give the source for the video. That alone should make it inadmissible. You can't just walk into the court and say, I have this video, your honor. The judge is going to say, whoa, wait a minute, where'd you get it? Who took it? What's the chain of custody? You need a person, a witness, to come forward and testify to the source of the video. Who took it, when, who else was there, and so on. The motion claimed, quote, It shows that the defendant eagerly made assumptions about the intentions of others, even though he knew absolutely nothing about what was going on. The video also demonstrates that the defendant fervently sought to insert himself as an armed vigilante into situations that had nothing to do with him. Finally, and perhaps most importantly, the video proves that the defendant was ready and willing to use deadly force in a situation where it was completely unjustified. Yes, it's a transparent attempt to poison the well, and it isn't corroborated by what happened in Kenosha. According to the videos we went over in detail, when Kyle was on the ground being attacked, at one point one person ran towards him, Kyle pointed his gun at him, and the guy backed off. Kyle didn't fire. That shows that there's absolutely no basis for Kyle being on the murderous, hate-filled rage the prosecution is trying to claim he was on. So since they can't get him on the facts, they're going to try and prejudice the jury. But in any such motion, they'd have to show that the probative value of the evidence outweighs the prejudicial value. They can't show that here, since the entire point of this is to prejudice the jury. In addition, prosecutors filed a motion to force the defense to turn over the names of everyone who donated to Kyle's defense fund. Names the defense doesn't even have, and at any rate, what purpose would that serve other than to politically punish those who donated? The other story involves John Huber, the father of Anthony Huber, one of the people who attacked Kyle and whom Kyle shot and killed. You may remember him from the May 21 pre-trial hearing we covered. He was the one who flipped the bird to the judge. He's actually suing the Kenosha Police Department and the Kenosha County Sheriff's Department because they didn't do enough to stop Kyle killing his son. Quote, 
Astonishingly, the Kenosha Police Department, Kenosha County Sheriff's Department, and their supervising officials and police officers did not treat Rittenhouse or any of the other armed individuals patrolling the streets as a threat to the safety of themselves or the citizens they were sworn to protect. And yes, the lawsuit plays the race card saying that if Kyle were black, the police, quote, would have acted much differently. Kyle is Latino. Quote, Instead, defendants deputized these armed individuals, conspired with them, and ratified their actions by letting them patrol the streets armed with deadly weapons to mete out justice as they saw fit. Kenosha County Attorney Sam Hall said, quote, While we understand that the family of Anthony Huber is grieving his loss, we must make it clear that the allegations against Sheriff Beth and the Kenosha Sheriff's Office are demonstrably false, and the facts will show that Mr. Huber's death was not caused by any actions or inactions of Kenosha County law enforcement. In fact, there's only one person responsible for Anthony Huber's death, and that's Anthony Huber. There are more motions set for September 17, and the trial is set for November 1. One thing is certain, this is gonna be a circus. If you're looking for a way to support this channel, but you don't have any spare cash and you can't stand ads, you can do so by generating your own cryptocurrency. Use the links at the bottom of the description to follow the link to odyssey.com to listen to the podcast and see all of my YouTube videos as well. Just watching videos will produce cryptocurrency for the creator and yourself. And since Odyssey is always monetized and never censored, you'll have no problem seeing all the videos from your favorite creators. You can also use the library credits you create at Odyssey to tip creators and even purchase paid content. Earn library credits through various rewards, including daily view rewards and the number of shares and invites. And you can interact with creators in all sorts of ways, including like and dislike, comment, boost a post by supporting it, repost it, and share to other sites, all while earning crypto for the creator. Easily monetize yourself and your favorite creators using cryptocurrency without advertising. Use the link below to visit this channel on odyssey.com and see many of your other favorites there as well. So amidst all the fiasco, brouhaha, and kerfuffle around Biden's botched withdrawal from Afghanistan and the Taliban overrunning the country, one minor but interesting aspect of it is how social media is going to deal with them. And as Mike Masnick of TechDirt always likes to point out, content moderation is difficult to do well and impossible to do well at scale. Facebook, following U.S. sanctions policies, has banned the Taliban for a while and said that they will continue to do so. And the Taliban doesn't like it one bit. Quote, Journalists should ask people at Facebook who are claiming to be promoters of freedom of speech why the Islamist movement that seized power from Afghanistan's elected government is banned from posting on any Facebook-owned platform, including Instagram and WhatsApp. If any of you still have any surviving irony meters from the Usenet days, I apologize for it exploding in your face just now. Yeah, the Taliban hasn't exactly been the biggest friends of free speech. But isn't it interesting how the first people who will take a right away from you are also the first to complain when that right is taken from them? Of course, as we've covered in the past, it isn't a free speech issue for someone to refuse to give you a platform, unless they can be shown to be operating as a state actor, which doesn't appear to be the case here. Twitter hasn't banned them, but has taken down individual posts that had violent content. 
But another irony of the situation is that the Taliban, which in the past prohibited Afghans from even owning televisions, actually appear to be quite tech-savvy. Most of their posts are made to challenge the notions of them being intolerant and violent and do as well as anyone at staying within the ever-changing boundaries of what's permissible on these platforms. In fact, they do such a good job that many analysts suspect they've employed a PR firm. So they're exploiting the oft-mused point that one man's terrorist is another's freedom fighter, and it gets even trickier when it's the government doing it. Not only might that open the door for a tech company to be determined to be acting as a state actor, you have the niggling little fact that government often wants to use these definitions against political opponents. The Capitol protesters have been called terrorists. The U.S. officially listed Nelson Mandela as a terrorist. Martin Luther King was on an NSA terrorist watch list. Malcolm X was surveilled by the FBI as a threat to national security. So it might not be the best policy to ban anyone government claims as a terrorist. So this is just another reason why we not only need Section 230 in place, but also competition to big tech companies without the protectionism they're currently enjoying. If you're on the Wi-Fi in a coffee shop or hotel, anyone on that network can get your traffic. Do you really trust all of those strangers? For that matter, do you really trust your ISP? A VPN can protect you from prying eyes, disguise your location, and even foil government sensors. It's essential in this day and age. So go to vpn.bogosity.tv and you'll be taken to BoxPN. Starting at just $2.99 a month, you can get unlimited high-speed connections to VPN servers all over the world. And they don't log connections, so your privacy is assured. Traveling abroad, just VPN home. And don't worry about what those other governments are doing. Back at home, stop your ISP from traffic shaping and messing with the quality internet access you're paying good money for. You can connect from multiple machines at once, including your smartphone or tablet, and it supports all the secure standards, including OpenVPN and SSTP. Bypass sensors and surveillance with your own secure VPN connection. Go to vpn.pagosity.tv. And speaking of protectionism, we've talked before about how major publishers don't like the Internet Archive's open library. To be honest, they've never liked libraries, but they've had to tolerate them in meat space. But they say that in cyberspace, it's totes different, yo! It really came to a head in the COVID-19 pandemic when the open archives rules were relaxed at the behest of local libraries all over the country that couldn't stay open. Over a year ago, we covered the Copyright Alliance describing it with the term vile. So the Association of American Publishers, which includes HarperCollins, John Wiley, and Penguin Random House, sued the Internet Archive, calling it a pirate site. Quote, Defendant IA is engaged in willful mass copyright infringement. Without any license or any payment to authors or publishers, IA scans print books, uploads these illegally scanned books to its servers, and distributes verbatim digital copies of the books in whole via public-facing websites. They're demanding $150,000 in statutory damages for each infringement. They also want to hold them secondarily liable for any of their users passing on downloaded books. The Internet Archive responded by citing the First Sale Doctrine and the Safe Harbor provisions of the DMCA. Quote, The project serves the public interest in preservation, access, and research, all classical fair use purposes. As for its effect on the market for the works in question, the books have already been bought and paid for by the libraries that own them. 
The public derives tremendous benefit from the program, and rights holders will gain nothing if the public is deprived of this resource. Now, the Internet Archive has demanded that the publisher hand over sales data to show that the lending of digital books had no effect on book sales. That pesky discovery stuff rearing its ugly head. Quote, Plaintiffs claim that the Internet Archive's digital library lending has a negative effect on the market for or value of the works. The Internet Archive disagrees and wishes to bring forward evidence showing that lending had little or no effect on the commercial performance of the books being lent compared to books that were not lent. To do this, they need sales data not only for the books in question, but comparable books that are not available through the open library. That's the only way to do a proper comparison. The publishers have been stonewalling requests for this discovery for a year, saying it would be too burdensome. Quote, Given this refusal, plaintiffs must produce data about all books so that the Internet Archive can identify books it regards as comparable and the parties can then debate, on a level playing field, whether such books are or are not comparable. Well, that would be better anyway, since it means the publishers wouldn't be able to cherry-pick the data. And they should be required to provide that data anyway if they want to meet their burden of proof. Maybe it's because they know they can't? And they certainly can't make the ridiculous $150,000 per infringement claim. Again, we wish the best of luck to the Internet Archive, this gift to the world. Do you have children or nieces or nephews? Are you homeschooling or just want to counter some of the socialist indoctrination most children get in school? If so, go to bogosity.tv slash Tuttle Twins and you'll be taken to a website where you can get some great books for elementary age children. The Tuttle Twins books are books about liberty and free market economics that include children's versions of Bastiat's The Law, Leonard Reed's I Pencil, and Hayek's The Road to Serfdom, as well as books about the Federal Reserve and how regulations protect business cronies. They'll learn about the harm caused by eminent domain or regulations passed in the name of safety and fundamental concepts of liberty. And as you can see from the sample pages on the website, they're all easy to read and nicely illustrated. They're just $9.99 a piece, or get a special discount as well as free bonuses when you purchase all five. You can even buy in bulk to donate to schools and local libraries. So get the Tuttle Twins books at bogosity.tv slash Tuttle Twins. And now it's time to ritualize this week's Biggest Bogan Emitter. And this week it goes to the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives for far greater ignorance of firearms than they've expressed to date. Rare Breed Triggers received a cease and desist letter from the Tampa branch of the ATF ordering them to stop all manufacture, sale, and transfers of their FRT-15 Trigger, threatening them with criminal prosecution if they don't on the grounds that it's a machine gun. A trigger is a machine gun. The FRT-15 is known as a force reset trigger, which is what FRT stands for. In a normal semi-automatic, the recoil from the expanding gas pushes the bolt carrier back, which ejects the spent casing while locking the hammer. The magazine then loads the next round. Once releasing the trigger, the shooter can fire again. The FRT-15 performs an extra function. As the bolt carrier cocks the hammer, it also forces a reset on the trigger. Instead of having to release the trigger, the trigger actually pushes back on the shooter's finger, putting it in position to fire again. 
The ATF is saying it can turn an AR-15 into a machine gun by making it fire faster. When Rare Breed asked to see their examination, they admitted that they don't know who did the examination, and in fact, they hadn't even seen it. Their legal counsel also confirmed that she hadn't seen it. So Rare Breed has brought a request against the ATF, its acting director Marvin Richardson, and AG Merrick Garland for a TRO to the courts enjoining the ATF from prohibiting the sale of the trigger, which isn't a machine gun either under the Gun Control Act of 1968 or the National Firearms Act of 1934. Federal law defines machine gun as, quote, any weapon which shoots, is designed to shoot, or can be readily restored to shoot automatically more than one shot without manual reloading by a single function of the trigger. The term shall also include the frame or receiver of any such weapon, any part designed and intended solely and exclusively, or combination of parts designed and intended for use in converting a weapon into a machine gun, and any combination of parts from which a machine gun can be assembled if such parts are in the possession or under the control of a person. Note that nothing in that definition has anything to do with how fast it can fire. In their lawsuit, Rare Breed explains how a machine gun works. Quote, All machine guns operate with what is commonly referred to as an auto-sear. The auto-sear replaces the need to pull the trigger repeatedly for multiple shots because the auto-sear mechanically releases the firearm's hammer to fall as soon as the firearm has chambered a new round. This will continue so long as the shooter maintains the trigger in the pulled position. This is distinguished from a semi-automatic platform, which requires the trigger to be functioned repeatedly every time a round is fired. And they make it clear, quote, The FRT-15 does not operate as an auto-seer, nor does it operate with an auto-seer. Indeed, as set forth below, the FRT-15 requires a separate and independent function for each round fired. While the FRT-15 allows for a more rapid subsequent firing of the next round by the firearm, it does not allow more than one round of ammunition to be expelled per function of the trigger, and this does not meet the definition of a machine gun under the above-cited laws. Yes, calling the FRT-15 a machine gun is almost as dumb as calling a bump stock a machine gun. And the ATF knows this because, as the lawsuit points out, quote, the ATF's Firearms Technology Branch has previously approved a force reset trigger similar to the FRT-15, called the 3MR trigger, in October 2013. And to the best of the plaintiff's knowledge and belief, the 3MR trigger design remains approved and available for purchase in the open market. They also point out that, before they even started manufacturing the FRT-15, they sought the legal opinion of Kevin P. McCann, a former ATF resident agent in charge who served for 25 years, who concluded this did not meet the definition of a machine gun under federal law. They also got the opinion of Daniel O'Kelly, Director of International Firearms Specialist Academy and former ATF Senior Special Agent, as well as Chief Firearms Technology Instructor at the ATF National Academy, and is the author of the course of study used to train their agents on, among other things, the definition of a machine gun. And he said the FRT-15 isn't one. And after manufacturing, they also got two different examinations, one from Rick Vasquez and the other from Brian Lutka, both former ATF agents. Both, you guessed it, found that it wasn't a machine gun. And not only are these four formally with the ATF, 
The DOJ and the ATF have presented each of them as expert witnesses in their cases as to what does and does not constitute a machine gun. Yes, the ATF is going against their own expert witnesses. So their lawsuit says, quote, The defendant's conclusion that the FRT-15 is a machine gun is arbitrary, capricious, and abuse of discretion, and otherwise not in accordance with the law. The defendant's attempt to redefine the definition of a machine gun to reach the FRT-15 is in excess of the agency's statutory jurisdiction and authority and is short of the agency's statutory right. The defendant's arbitrary and capricious attempt to redefine the definition of a machine gun to reach the FRT-15 will also prohibit the ownership, possession, and use of firearm accessories that are not prohibited by the relevant statutes. It's just another case of authoritarians acting arbitrarily to go against something they don't like. If they succeed here, there's no reason why they couldn't succeed against a stock AR-15 and, for that matter, every firearm that isn't a revolver. Which we know is what Jobai wants to do. This is the rule of men, folks, not the rule of law. So all of that makes the ATF this week's biggest bowgun emitter. I want to tell you about the eyeglasses I've been wearing for years. As people can see on my videos, I have a very strong prescription, which makes glasses more expensive, especially when I need computer glasses, reading glasses, prescription sunglasses, and most expensively, progressive lenses for general everyday wear. To save money while still getting quality glasses, I get them from Fermu. In fact, I just got a pair of progressives with high-index aspherical lenses and a nice pair of frames my wife loves for just over $100. It would have been $500 to get them through my eye doctor. Not only do they look good, the glasses are durable. I've worn many pairs for several years without problems. All orders come with a 30-day return policy, a 3-month warranty, and one-on-one -on -one customer service. Go to Firmu, that's F-I-R-M-O-O dot Bogosity dot TV, anytime you need quality glasses at a low price. Once again, that's Firmu dot Bogosity dot TV. And now let's decertify this week's Idiot Extraordinary! And this week it goes to YouTube for another example of fact-checking gone mad. You've seen the fact-check box below many YouTube videos. It started showing up on videos discussing the COVID-19 pandemic, but has since expanded to cover many other topics, including, I kid you not, lizard people. Brian Lunduke is a developer and tech journalist who has recently turned his hand to writing satire, such as his list of secure operating systems, which is empty, his story, Microsoft announces Clippy for Linux, and his story on how Larry Wall created the Perl language by blowing a raspberry into a modem. Lunduke made a satirical video specifically labeled as satire called Facebook, YouTube, Banned Discussion of Lizard People. One part of the video said, quote, YouTube has also announced an update to their algorithm that will automatically detect anti-lizard bias and flag videos accordingly. So, YouTube flagged the video with a fact check that read, Reptilian Humanoid, with a Wikipedia link. Reptilian humanoids or anthropomorphic reptiles appear in folklore, fiction, and conspiracy theories. As Lunduk said, quote, Was this an attempt at self-deprecating humor on the part of YouTube? Is it satire becoming reality? 
Or perhaps, is this proof that YouTube is run by, as they call themselves, reptilian humanoids? We can only speculate. So he followed it up, as any satirist would, with another video. YouTube fact-checks satire video about lizard people. And YouTube did the same thing to that one. Why is YouTube bothering to flag videos about lizard people? Did a human being come up with that lizard people disclaimer? Or is there an algorithm that does those that thought that, since the term conspiracy theory shows up along with lizard people, that it was going to generate a warning entirely on its own? So Lunduk followed that up with yet another video. YouTube fact checks video that references YouTube fact checking video about lizard people. And YouTube fact checked it. I'm not kidding, folks. I think we're in a loop now. Expect Lunduk's next video to be YouTube fact checks video about YouTube fact checking video about YouTube fact checking video about lizard people. Just how deep does this rabbit hole go anyway? Is there any way out of this fact checkception? And check the upload of this podcast on YouTube. Let's see if that has the fact check about lizard people. In my opinion, it's just more proof that YouTube's algorithms are insane. If nothing else, it's a nice confirmation of Turing's halting problem. In a video response, Lundu gave his thanks and gratitude to YouTube, Google, and Alphabet for giving him all this material to work with. So all of that makes YouTube this week's... Idiot Well, that wraps up this Make Space for the Face that Forced the Abortion Issue edition of the Bogosity Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please go to donate.bogosity.tv for several ways to support and discord.bogosity.tv to join the discussion. Subscribe at Patreon or Subscribestar and you can listen early and ad-free. Thank you for listening. Next week is the fifth Sunday, so no podcast. We'll see you in two weeks. Until then, here's a quote from Tom Lehrer. Irreverence is easy. What's hard is wit. The Bogosity Podcast is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution on Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 International License. Bogosity. We live in a world where light bulbs connect to the internet, and recent attacks on them prove that your online security is under threat like never before. Not only your websites, but the internet-enabled devices you buy. And the biggest problem is weak passwords. That's why you need LastPass. LastPass allows you to randomly generate strong, unique passwords on the web and on your internet-enabled devices, all protected by one master password. LastPass sets up in minutes and gives you secure automatic logins throughout the web, synchronizing across all your browsers, all your computers, and even your mobile devices, at home, at work, or on the road. It even securely stores sensitive form data, including credit card numbers, backup sensitive documents, software licenses, Wi-Fi logins, and more. And with LastPass Premium, you can get these benefits on other applications, manage passwords for your entire family, and also get priority customer support. Sign up at password.bogosity.tv for a free month of LastPass Premium. Log in securely everywhere using the last password you'll ever have to remember. Go to password.bogosity.tv and get LastPass now.